Welcome to You, Me and the Nostalgic Football Podcast from Football Whispers, which each week takes a deep dive into the career of cult heroes of 90s football. This week, I'm joined by David Hughes, scouting and analysis writer for Reach, to discuss a man who was quite literally a giant of 90s football in the UK, Big Duncan Ferguson. David, thanks for joining us. How are you doing? Hi, Tom. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm not too, too bad, thank you. Um... I'm healthy, that's the important thing. I'm just missing the football a little bit. Absolutely, mate, aren't we all? Well, in the last two episodes, we've dissected the careers of diminutive geniuses, Gianfranco Zola and Janino. Today, we're going in a very opposite direction. We're knocking it long, big route, one ball up to the big man to feed off the scraps. And who better to perform that role than Big Dunk himself? David, you're a Evertonian. I'm sure I'm not exposing you there. Can you briefly sum up your kind of uh, what that name means to you and, and the place he holds in your heart, I guess, as an Everton legend? Yeah, of course. You know, um, yeah, Ferguson's huge. Uh, he, he, he represents Everton Football Club, I guess. Um, he's a likable character. I think we saw that. Um, you know, at the back end of last year when he was put in temporary charge of the first team. We seem to get a lot of uh, a lot of love in the press. Um, he's a bit of an enigma as well, which I'm sure we'll come on to. Um, I'm pretty sure up until he was appointed manager um, at the back end of last year, that was I, I may have only heard him speak maybe once or twice in my life, and I grew up an Everton fan. Um, but yeah, does he, he? He did really have a somewhat of a, a an interesting career, and um, obviously he loved Everton. Love playing for Everton. Um, he wasn't maybe necessarily the the hero that um, the hero to me that he, he was to others, but I think we maybe come on to that a little bit later on. Um, but yeah, he's you know he's when you when you think about Everton, Ferguson's one of the first names that that comes to your mind. I'd say yeah, he certainly is, and as you say, an enigma is quite a nice way of describing him and the kind of the career he had and the the person he was or, or, and is, for that matter. So he obviously starts out in Scotland, starts with Dundee United, where he scores 17 in 41 in the 91-92 season, 15 in 33. The following season as Dundee United finished fourth in his two full seasons with them. That earns him a move to Rangers. And obviously at the time, Scottish football was much more, I don't want to say competitive, but there was bigger, there were certainly bigger names playing in north of the border and what have you and the competition between Celtic and Rangers was far more intense on a football level than it is now for a variety of reasons that we're not going to get into here um but what do, what do you recall of Scottish football and of Duncan Ferguson at that point the very early 90s the very beginning of the decade yeah so obviously that that kind of period was very early on to my into my childhood but uh, you know I've done a lot of reading since and you know, and it's um, yeah, it's a shame really because Scottish football as a whole, it was a lot more competitive. Okay, we know Rangers, you know, won nine titles across the nineties, but I think I think there was seven seven different teams that won the Scottish Cup. You know, they had players in there like Lardrip, um, Henrik Larsson, Paul Gascoigne. You know, they had some big names in that division, and there was a, there was a certain pull to to playing in the in the Scottish um, Premiership, but of course, it's it doesn't seem to have that same appeal now, and yeah, it's um, funny enough actually, Tom. I was doing a little bit of analysis um, in terms of Premier League goal contributions per country. Just, I mean, 
you know, we haven't got much else to do, have we? So it's just <laughs> something to pass the time. And I noticed that uh, in terms of goals from Scotland in the Premier League, it's the the contributions halved from the uh, from the final season in the nineties to to this season. Mm. Um, obviously, there's some impact in terms of the um, obviously the coronavirus cutting this season short a little bit at the moment. But it's it just seems to be a sign of the times where Scotland's maybe not in its uh, its best moment uh, from a football point of view. Um, and certainly when we compare now to, to the 90s, that's definitely the case. Yeah, it certainly is. When we think of strikers in the 90s, it's, you know, it's, as I said at the beginning, sort of long balls forward, direct kind of style of play, big, strong strikers like Duncan Ferguson. He was the very embodiment of that kind of stereotype. And and is that, is that fair? Is that an accurate reflection of a lot of, you know, there are exceptions, of course, but of a lot of the forwards of that era. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I'd say so. You know, um, the game was a lot more physical during that period. Uh, if you think of the modern forward now, uh, they tend to be, well, top-level athletes. Um, they're, they're just as important what they do without the ball than with it. You know, beyond the goal contributions, they, they need to you know, lead their team's pressing, make runs in behind, runs into the flanks. If you go back to you know, Ferguson's period forwards could be a lot more static in their play. You know, they'd normally be playing with uh, someone alongside them in the front two. So you'd see a, a lot of long balls, a lot of headers in the air, battling centre-backs, winning knockdowns, the teammates. And, you know, Ferguson really kind of did epitomise that whole era. And you couldn't imagine maybe a Duncan Ferguson succeed now uh, in the modern-day Premier League. I was going to ask you this later, but I think, as you've said it there, couldn't necessarily see him succeeding these days. It leads quite nicely into asking, is there a player in the Premier League now or in a top kind of European league that you would say shares similar traits and characteristics with him? And if not, who's the last player that you can think of who you could sort of say was a you know a similar sort of striker? I was thinking about this and... There isn't really a standout candidate for me, certainly in the modern game. If given the theme of of the podcast, uh, a player I'd like to probably tie in would be a former Everton player who's a lot more modern um, when compared to Ferguson, at least, and that was Tim Cahill. Um, although he wasn't necessarily a um, striker and he didn't have the same kind of um, physical attributes as, as Ferguson. He was someone who had a lot of the same characteristics. He he was hard on hard on the sleeve. You know, he scored really big goals in big games. He scored, you know, he scored away at Anfield, away at Old Trafford. You know, he scored at the Emirates. Um, he scored away at City. You know, he was a he was a big player. He had a really big leap, which made him really imposing in in aerial battles and in terms of getting balls into the box. He was always dangerous. And as I said, although he doesn't maybe represent the same kind of um, physical attributes as as Ferguson, I think he's probably the player I've seen closest from an Everton point of view, at least, um, to replicating his kind of impact. That's a really interesting shout, actually, because you know, physically, if you were to look at them, you'd say opposite, you know, polar opposites, even. But as you, as you rightly point out, uh, Tim Cahill's leap was was something else for a guy of his size. Uh, one strand of Ferguson's kind of legacy, I suppose, that we can't avoid in this discussion is his temperament at Rangers. This very much rears its head um, 
with ironically a headbutt on Race Rovers John McStay and this is kind of a bit of football trivia I suppose Ferguson ends up being charged and found guilty of assault the first player uh, you know charged on, in a criminal sense for uh, an offence that took part took place I should say on the football field and it's the beginning of a very rocky relationship with the Scottish Football Association who ban him for 12 matches prior to the uh, the outcome of his court case, and he feels that that uh, prejudices the court case that ultimately sees him serve 44 days at Her Majesty's pleasure. Um, he had prior convictions for assault. We're not going to go too in depth on those, but for uh, assaults uh, at taxi rank in taxi rank scuffles and one altercation with a fisherman in a pub. When we talk about when we think about those moments and that kind of aggression and the physical prowess that Ferguson had. How does that kind of tie in, if you see what I'm saying, with the Ferguson, the player, that kind of fits in a way, doesn't it? Yeah, it does, definitely. It was a, it was a definitely a huge part of his game. Um, you know, a, a, a defence always knew they were in for a, a tough afternoon when they were coming up against Ferguson. There was a lot of personal battles. Obviously, as we may come on to, a few of them boiled over on more than one <laughs> occasion. Um but I think what it, what that side of his game really aided Everton was mainly in those highly emotive games. So, you know, your your Liverpools, Manchester United, um, a lot of the time Ferguson was unplayable in those matches. Um, I know he scored five goals against Liverpool in his career. Okay, one of them came for Newcastle, but um, he also scored seven against United. And when you think... I'm pretty sure only maybe one or two players have scored more against United in this Premier League era. And he's played for not a great Everton side for the bulk of that time. Um, I, I, it just felt like when 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 that, that burn and desire was in there, you know, that hunger and a lot of this kind of aggression, as long as he could uh, hone in that energy in the correct way, he would often be unplayable. Uh, I think the only downside was it, it, it he couldn't always light that fire on a regular basis. For so for a player of his talent, and we'll come on to the kind of the technical aspects of his game at further into the pod that we go. He only actually won seven caps for Scotland, uh, spanning a five-year period between '92 and '97. He made his debut in May of '92 in a friendly against the USA, but told manager at the time Andy Roxburgh that he couldn't get up for these park games. Um, you you called him an enigma in your first answer. Is that kind of plays in? I think doesn't it to the the kind of person he is. We don't necessarily didn't necessarily hear from him a lot, but he was very much his own man, wasn't he? He wasn't just going to play the play the game as it were of, of football and uh, you know toe the line. I guess for want of a better word, phrase. Yeah, there was there was very much a a mindset of kind of um, certainly as you know when he was really a hero Everton there was kind of here's my club and a middle finger to everybody else um, and you know it was the same for for the you touched on it earlier about the Scottish FA he had a big problem with them the press as well I think the, he fell out with the press as a result of that whole incident and he he basically spent a career uh, refusing to give any sort of interviews um, you know as I mentioned at the top of the show I, I, I'd hardly heard him speak and I've been you know, an Everton fan all my life. Um, it's just something you, you never saw them uh, doing any sorts of interviews. And this, again, all just ties into that enigma kind of, you know, mysterious character um, who you wouldn't hear from for, 
know, six months and they go out on the, on the pitch and put in this unbelievable performance and he kind of go back into the shadows and you, you're left wondering what's, what does he do Monday to Friday, you know, in between these football matches because you never hear anything about him. Which in this day and age is quite a quite a rarity actually, isn't it, when you think about the... I'm pretty sure, Tom, we wouldn't see him on, um, on Twitter or on Instagram. I can't imagine social media agreeing with... Uh... Duncan Ferguson. Well, next up, we'll be talking about how he came to Goodison Park because he didn't actually stay at Rangers for particularly long and the real meat of his uh, career and what really launched his career in England and made him a, a Goodison Park hero. So we'll be back after a very short break. Well, welcome back. We're joined today by David Hughes to talk about big Duncan Ferguson, absolute icon at Goodison Park for Everton supporters and we've joined you've joined us at the point where he's moved south now to Merseyside to Everton to Goodison Park uh at that point David a very different Everton to what we know now and an Everton that were really struggling under Mike Walker and in you know real kind of relegation mire weren't they yeah so it was um I think it's actually Royal Joe Royal who brings um who lands the deal to bring him and um, Ian Durant to, to the club. Um, but, you know, at the time, we we didn't really know anything about about Ferguson. Um, you know, he was, he was very much an unknown kind of quantity. Um, and there, there, there wasn't even a guarantee that he was potentially going to be um, a player who was going to stick around. Obviously, it was a short-term loan and... It was quite funny, actually, and I'm paraphrasing a little bit, but it was along these lines that um, when he when he arrived, he was asked by the press on his way in, you know, are you going to be signing full-time for Everton? And his res- re- response was a little bit of a sneer, uh, and he said, I'm a, ra- I'm a Rangers man, and just carried on walking. Um, really? Obviously, yeah. It didn't quite pan out like that from there onwards, but um, yeah, I thought that was quite... Quite, quite funny considering um, how things turned out in the end. Well, absolutely. And some of the things, I've got a couple of quotes in in my notes here that I'll come on to later, but some of the things he ultimately said about Everton, you know, the glowing tributes to the fans and the club and what have you, it's remarkable to think that that was his first kind of utterance on the subject. Uh, well done for correcting me. Mike Walker was manager prior to Joe Royal, wasn't he? And kind of Joe took over and ultimately kept the club up. Um well, uh, scores his first goal in a, a 2-0 win against Liverpool at Goodison, but only after a pretty kind of uh, legendary, I suppose, story uh, from the night before. Do you want to just pick up for us that first goal and that the, 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 the story that's probably gone down into folklore now of how he uh, prepared, shall we say, for that Merseyside derby that really you know, launched him into Everton icon status off the bat? Yeah, well, again, this kind of really just adds to how how he uh, eventually becomes a you know a cult hero. Um, obviously, he was out he was out the night before. Um, this was all later confirmed by Joe Royal, and uh, he got caught driving home over the speed limit uh, with I think it was just the one lady alongside him. Um, although you never know, do you? Let's be honest, we don't get this information, but yeah, um, and yeah, he was heading back to the back to the hotel. Um, and he sent the lady on the way, uh, helped the police with their inquiries, shall we say, um, and then returned to his uh, to his room many hours later to f- still find the the lady friend was still there. Um, 
so you know I'm not really I'm not really sure what happened thereafter and how much um, how much drinking continued and what other activities. But yeah, it's uh, it's some way to prep for your first ever Merseyside derby the next day. Yes, certainly was. I think we're probably not at liberty to speculate what happened thereafter. Um, as ways to you know launch Everton career and get your you know get up and running on the goals in the goal stakes go scoring against the bitter rivals in a win it doesn't get much better right and from that moment on is it fair to say Everton fans were pretty taken with Duncan Ferguson if not you know fully in love with him as the icon he is these days yeah it was huge you know and if we look at the time at that time Everton really in the doldrums. Um, it's crazy to think, really. Like it was only seven years from their last league title success when it, when he's come in. Um, but they've, uh, you know, we all know about the impact that the European ban had on English clubs, and I think Everton, especially, you know, felt it pretty bad. The um, they lost a lot of the top quality players, and by all accounts, it doesn't sound like they recruited very well to try and replace them. Um, you know, the season after their title win, they ended up finishing eighth. And then really from each campaign thereafter, it got gradually a little bit worse, declined a little bit more. And then they got to the stage of, you know, um, where Walker come in. Walker was, Walker done really well, actually, with Norwich. Uh, people, yeah. I, I imagine at the time, a lot of people were quite excited about that appointment. Um, but it didn't, it obviously didn't work out. Uh, and then, yeah, Royals come in and was, kind of tasked with getting results against of all people Liverpool and you know Joe Royal was already a, a hero at the club because he, he'd been such a big player he'd done pretty well with Oldham as well people kind of forget this he'd got this job on merit it wasn't really a case of like um, you know pulling in a, an old player to try and save the day it was you know getting steady the ship and then let's see where he can take us um, he come in Ferguson to come in and yeah to get that win and for Ferguson it's just an absolute dream start. Um, you know, there's if you if you score a goal against Liverpool you're going to be talked about for many a year. You know, just there's, there's examples of players who maybe don't deserve it like like uh, Dan Dan Gosling for example at, um, at Bournemouth. You know, people still talk about his winner and he's although he's had a decent career in in the Premier League he's. Uh, He's not someone you consider an Everton hero, but it's just that's how big it is, you know, scoring in these games and to do it on your debut. I think you couldn't you couldn't start your career better. What sort of impact then did Ferguson have on that team and uh, and what happened over the course of the rest of the season? Because ultimately Everton survive and and win the FA Cup, but how quickly did he settle in and how quickly did he kind of stamp his authority his mark on things at Goodison well, it was huge really and I suppose when you look back on it it was a, it was quite a, a duo act I've, I've just mentioned mentioned them then I think Joe Royal brought in a little bit more of a feel-good factor around the club but yeah Ferguson was huge because suddenly Everton fans had somebody to be excited about we all know as, as supporters you 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 want to you know latch on to the to to a player you know normally a goal scorer as well um, mm. and you really just want you want that person that you can you know idolise and really get behind and that was Ferguson you know he scored a big goal in the derby and suddenly he was he was the focal point of Everton's support and you know when Everton were on the in possession and he knew Ferguson was in the box it's all about getting crosses in this this anticipation you know getting to Ferguson and it. This just created a real buzz around the um, well around the club. Um, obviously, Everton avoided relegation with um, 
you know, with them playing a factor. And then the following season, they, um, they go on to win the FA Cup, which was the first, I'm pretty sure it was the first success since that league title I discussed earlier. So, you know, it, it, his impact was huge and it was it come at a time where it was really needed. And you, without trying to sound too dramatic, you do wonder, um, had he not had that impact in that game against Liverpool, you know, could have ever and potentially spiralled into relegation. You don't know. It was it was so tight that um, yeah, you look back on these little moments and think how significant was that. And I think this is definitely one of them. No, certainly true. You mentioned you know man for the big moment kind of thing or you know big moments I should say scored goals in wins against Everton, Ipswich, Palace, and Manchester United before the season was out to help Everton to the relative safety of fifteenth. What is it about? Ferguson that made him, you know, the man for the big occasion, as as he so evidently was throughout his the two spells he had at Everton. He he kind of had an aura of um, being unstoppable when he was on his game. You know, the we don't see much of it now, but I feel like around that period in football, the um, every team seems to have a bit of a hard man. You know, this some of them were yeah. self-proclaimed hard men. Um, but others actually were, and Ferguson was a tough guy. And there's, there was this kind of belief that at the time Everton didn't have a great, a great side. We know that, um, and Royal actually kind of dogged the team. You know, um, coined the team, I should say. Sorry, dogs of war. Um, yes. And Ferguson really, really epitomised that. And you just knew that, even if the, the club were coming up against a, a team with better players, that he, along with others would battle for every ball and really just, you know, make it difficult for the for the opposition. Um and that in a lot of ways is is what Everton what Everton fans really love to see. They they always um thrive um and love seeing really competitive players who, who work hard and battle for every ball. I, I I've been in Goodison Park and I've seen tackles celebrated more than goals. Um and just he is one of the players that epitomised that kind of dogs of war era. Joe Royal then sums it up quite nicely, I think, when I read you this quote, he said, Duncan had immense ability and here he was at a club where the striker has been revered since Dixie Dean and before. They love their number nines. Alternatively, they can be incredibly hard if you don't fit the bill. Unlike a lot of gangly boys, Duncan can jump. He could jump all right. How... A lot of clubs say, you know, that the relationship between the supporters and that number nine shirt, you know, I'm thinking Newcastle and Alan Shearer is another example. How important is that kind of relationship at uh, at Everton? And why is it they sort of revere their number nines, their centre forwards? Is it, you know, the kind of, uh, you know, Dixie Dean and his era, the, the impacts of him? Or is there, is there something else to it, do you think? Yeah, I think a lot of it does come down to that. Obviously, Dixie Dean's one of the... Um, I know we, we know the game's changed a lot, of course it has. Um, but he's one of the greatest players who, who's played it in England. You know, played the, played the game. He, his goal scoring record is unmatched. Um, so yeah, what? But over the years, you know, there's been plenty of other big number nines at Everton um, who've kind of elevated the the meaning of of, of that shirt at the club and. As I touched on, you know, Everton loved to hone in on a hero, you know, and a lot of times it is an attacker. You know, you want to you want to be able to get behind a, a big goal scorer. You know, wearing the club's biggest colour, uh, wearing the club's biggest 
uh, shirt number, which is number nine. Um, mm. And Ferguson was doing that. You know, he 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 developed this cult hero hero kind of status. Uh, he was scoring really big goals. He was the club's number nine eventually, of course. And um, yeah, it's just it, it all tied in together perfectly. I think. Obviously, what was on the horizon and what was certainly not part of the plan was that five months after winning the FA Cup in '95, he's jailed for that headbutt on uh, McStay when he was back in uh, north of the border with Rangers. Was there ever any doubt that Everton would stick by him? What was the kind of fan reaction at that time? I know, obviously, you said you were quite young at the point, but from your uh, you know re- research and family and what have you, what 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 did people? Make to that, yeah. So the uh, the club made it very clear at the time that they uh, they were going to stick by him, um, which I think was good because obviously that eliminates any sort of um, well any potential issues or any sort of doubts within the players' minds. Um, but also it, it it kind of sets the um, sets the tone for for the fans as well. And you know, bear in mind that the fans already loved Ferguson at this point, so there was no way they were going to turn the back. His, the back on him either. Um, so yeah, the support was unanimous between club and, and fan base. And um, yeah, I think he felt a lot of love during that difficult period. Certainly did and certainly felt a lot of love in the years that followed. Well, that brings us nicely to the end of the first few years at Everton. In the next section, we'll be talking about Ferguson's move to Newcastle United and subsequent return to Goodison Park. But we'll just take a very quick break first. Welcome back to You, Me and the 90s Nostalgia football podcast from Football Whispers. Today I'm joined by David Hughes, writer for Reach, who's a big Evertonian who's joined us to talk about Duncan Ferguson. Where we left it in the previous part, Big Dunk was at Everton. So in the November of 98, Duncan Ferguson actually left Everton to join Newcastle United in an £8 million deal. Chairman at the time of the Toffees, Peter Johnson, selling him behind Walter Smith's back and this understandably upset his manager. Um, Duncan Ferguson, in doing so, wrote a two-page farewell letter to Everton fans in the fanzine at the time, saying he would never forget them. We see very few players in this day and age that have such a clear affinity with their club and their supporter base in the same way that uh, Ferguson did. And we can see why you know fans loved him. He was you know a really big character and a big part of the team but why did he love Everton and Evertonians so much and, and and still to this day he obviously famously has his Everton tattoo so why is this such a, a two-way relationship do you think David? You know it's really hard to say I, I guess he's the he's the man that would answer that but um, from the Everton, Everton fan point of view obviously he's, he came down and won the heart of the fans straight away um, you know the, the club took him um, took him in as one of their own, really. Uh, in terms of his love, love as ever, maybe it, there's just an element of kind of feeling that appreciation for just how uh, how popular he was at the club. How soon, you know, we we know as well. Liverpool as a city is, uh, you know, it's it's pretty similar to where he's come from. He's a he's a, obviously a Glasgow born um, Glasgow born fella. Um, Glasgow shares a lot of similarities with with um, Liverpool as a city and he's, he's clearly just seen a lot of um, lot of the um, qualities in in Everton that may, maybe he 
he kind of associates with himself. Um, mm. You know, just to, it's, it's hard to say. Yeah, I guess without getting in his head, we can't answer for him, but it's certain that, that he feels the same way about Everton fans that Everton fans do about him. What was the reaction then at the time? Just, just on that, I, I, you touched on the tattoo a little bit earlier. I, I was quite shocked to realise that, doing a little bit of research before the show, that he uh, he actually consulted fans asking for um, help on the design of the tattoo as to how it should look and you know what what they think would look really well and things. And I think that gives gives a little insight to just how how popular uh, he was and how, also how much he valued the opinion of, of the Everton fans. I didn't know that. That is incredible. Um, on that on that note, then what was the kind of reaction at the time when the deal? Was announced. I can't imagine it went down particularly well with Evertonians at that uh, at that point in '98. For want of a better term, it was a sickener. I think because yeah. it felt like he was really at his in terms of being at the club. He was at his peak. He was a he was a hero. Um, and yeah, it just it it, it felt just it, even the circumstances of, of how it happened. You know, be, behind the manager's back, um, needed to balance the books as well. It's it's not as if there was a sale for potential upgrade or it just it was really dark times at the club the club weren't doing well financially um yeah and it was just it was it was very it was it was a very sad time even being honest i know i know football's only only considered the sport to many but you know it's it sticks with us doesn't it and it's it, it is quite emotional and to see someone go in in that man it was it, it really hit the fan base hard and uh, it, it took a while for a lot of people to forgive the club. Reading into it at the time, it seemed reading into it, it seemed like at the time he was signed kind of on a whim almost by Newcastle. They wanted someone to partner Alan Shearer. Rude Hullett said he'd looked at him when he was Chelsea manager. It cost, you know, seven million up front with a further million after 30 games, which doesn't sound like much when we're in an era of, you know, players like Neymar moving for 200 million euros and a basic wage of around 38,000, according to reports. But kind of, he's 27 at that point and he's had injuries and what have you. Uh, it was seen as a gamble and it probably, fair to say, it didn't work out, did it, for him at Newcastle? 12 goals in 41 games. What was the kind of overriding feeling about his time at St James's Park? He spent broadly two seasons on Tyneside. Yeah, I mean, it didn't look great from the outside. Obviously, Newcastle fans who were watching a lot more of his matches up there would probably ha- provide a better insight. But, yeah, expe- expectations were high, weren't they? Um, mm. You know, Ferguson, Ferguson had kind of built up this reputation. So, it seemed that um, they were hoping he'd go and have an instant impact. I think he started fairly well, but he wasn't scoring a lot of goals. Yeah, two on his debut, but he wasn't really scoring a lot of goals thereafter. Um, yeah, it's it's hard to really put. Sometimes I, I think certain players just um, belong to certain clubs, and it just doesn't always work out at, at other sides. Um, plus, you've got to remember that Newcastle were a good side. You know, we were certainly a better side at this in this period. They were certainly better than Everton, um, and I think in, again that, that that raises expectations as to the kind of caliber of play you're expecting to 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 bring in, and it just seems like 
he didn't get away with things up there that he may have got, got away with at Goodison Park. There were kind of questions over his attitude and not being bothered almost while he was at Newcastle. And, but that's never been something that's been levelled at him by Everton fans. Was there? Is there an element of, you know, this move really underlining quite why it was such a good fit for him at uh, Goodison Park and the fact that that was, you know, home for him? Uh, despite being, as you say, a Glasgow lad. Yeah, yeah, I'd say so. Um, you know, if <clears throat> uh, he'd already built this cult status at Everton, and I think with with that kind of um, support, you are given a lot more passes. Um, you know, if you have a bad game, there's, there's excuses made for you. Um, and look, look, there was there was plenty of times he was found. Uh, well, found wanting really. You know, he, there was there was things. He didn't have a great injury record. Um, yeah. He he didn't have a good suspension record either. It, <laughs> you could even say at times he was a bit of a liar. He could be a bit of a liability in in those regards. But when um, when you love by a club, as I said, you can you can sometimes turn turn a blind eye to these things, and I think that's why. Um, why he was a lot more successful at Everton than, say, at Newcastle. Well, that brings us to the end of part three. We'll be taking a short break and then we'll be back to discuss Duncan Ferguson's second spell at Everton and his legacy at Goodison Park. Stay with us. Welcome back and thanks for listening to You, Me and from Football Whispers. I'm joined today by David Hughes, analytics and tactical writer for Reach. He, big Everton fan, David, you must have been thrilled in 2000, August 2000, Big Dunk returns to Goodison Park, just under four million, so a considerably smaller fee than Newcastle paid to take him off you in the first place. What was the reaction to his kind of homecoming? I imagine it was uh, very well received on Merseyside. Yeah, definitely. I mean, from a personal point of view, it was because I... uh... And and then don't forget, I was a young, a young lad at this point. But there was some sulking on my part when he left because I just got his name on my uh, on my shirt, and that was the the first and last time I ever did that because I uh, paid the price. But it was great to see him come back. It really was, and Everton fans on the whole were were thrilled, as you can imagine. You know, the, the, there is this kind of thing in football where people say you should never go back. Um, mm. we, and I agree to an extent, but. You know, Ferguson didn't choose to leave as he was almost forced out the door. Um, so there was there wasn't really any um, any grudges held in that regard. Uh, so when he come back, it was just you know people were over the moon and it felt like a, a return of a hero. What sort of club did he walk back into at that point? Where were where were Everton in the the Premiership standings as it was then? It was it was still Walter Smith, right? Just. Be- this kind of final throws of his regime, I think I'm right in saying. Smith was coming to the end a little bit. You could the writing was on the wall. Um, there wasn't a lot of um, improvements on, on the pitch mm-hmm. under Smith, and you could sense that something was a change was imminent. Um, you know, Evan was still a side kind of bouncing around mid-table sometimes. You know, loitering closer to the bottom than the top. Um, yeah, you know, in many ways, it wasn't that much of a different side that he'd come back to, <laughs> um, which isn't a good thing. But, no. it, you know, things changed under Moyes. Moyes come in and he built a a really good side um, and their success was 
really formulated on you know a strong work ethic and Ferguson didn't really have much of that in these stages of his career, which we might come on to shortly and um, maybe leads to his downfall a little bit in the latter years. Well, before we get to that, he scored twice on his first game in his first match back at Goodison, a 3-0 win over Charlton. And that had a bit of a knack of scoring kind of debut goals or goals very early in his time at clubs. Um, How... How did, as you say there, how did he kind of fit in initially? What, how much of a lift did he give uh, Everton at that point? Did he give them a lift? As you say, it was it wasn't a great period for Everton, was it? And Walter Smith coming to the end, and quite a few sort of big names or you know relatively big buys that just didn't work out at the time. It wasn't a great era for Everton, was it? So how did he? What impact did he have on the on the club when he returned? Yeah, it was um, you know it, it, again like he did first time round. He gave the club a lift. The, the the only difference maybe this time was there was a little bit more realism in that. Um, you know, potentially he's. He, I, I can't remember if he was thirty or he was coming up to thirty. Um, we knew that he probably wasn't going to have a. Um, you know, a long-term impact on the club. It was, it was going to be a lot more short-term. But the, the the lift was immediate. Obviously, scoring goals straight away. That's that's what you want. What what you want? Hit the ground running. Mm. He did that, um, and yeah, it did give a little bit of a lift. And also, it was nice to. I think it was good to have someone like that in the dressing room again. It felt like there was a lot of players in that squad that, you know maybe didn't have the same heart or desire that, uh, you know, Goodison Park as a stadium likes to see in terms of what they're watching football matches. It felt like there was a few that were just going through the motions and obviously Ferguson's a big character, well-respected, and it felt like he'd give one or two a boost up the backside. As you said there, he's kind of, he's 30 by now. Has his game changed uh, from his first spell to this and, you know, with injuries, he had groin problems and, uh, other other fitness issues as well. So has his game adapted? He adapted his game at all, or is he still the same sort of player, but maybe a, a lighter version of that that you know rambunctious kind of centre forward he was in the nineties? You, you hit the nail on the head there, to be honest, Tom. A lighter version of what he already was, because you know, thankfully, his game wasn't built around um, tremendous speed or. Um, mm. When I say you know physical attributes, I don't mean the obvious um, abilities in the air or duels with kind of defenders. I'm just talking about you know running with the ball, dribbling, and all those kind of um, behaviours. That wasn't really Ferguson's game, so he he could kind of uh, get away with um, performing really as he always did. But they did feel like there was a little bit um, a bit less of enthusiasm to his game, shall we say. Um, mm. felt like he didn't have that same drive and hunger. Um, I, I, I think that maybe leads to some downfalls he had under on the Moyes because um, that side couldn't really uh, carry any players. And yeah, that's that was probably the main difference. He was just a little bit of a, a lesser version of what he once was. We've talked from the out, the very outset, about his physical attributes and being a. Big, strong, centre-forward, target man type. He could do the other side of the game as well, right? There was, you know, he wasn't completely technically redundant. There were 
other uh, facets to his game as well as being the kind of hulking line leader that he was. Yeah, I actually think if there was an underrated aspect of his game, um, I've watched a few 11 clip uh, matches back actually over the past mm. uh, few weeks and months. And if there's one thing I actually thought was quite underrated is he had fairly decent link-up play. Um, so, you know, sometimes he'd, although he'd, he'd often be playing high, he could, he could drop in and, you know, uh, receive a pass in and lay it off to a teammate before heading towards the box or play that wide and work his way into the box to meet that resultant cross. So yeah, he wasn't um he wasn't someone that was incapable with the ball at his feet. Um it's just when you're so good at a certain aspect that kind of um takes precedence over over the other areas of his game. But yeah he wasn't for the big guy he wasn't he wasn't bad. Uh, with the ball's feet. No, uh, something else he wasn't bad at was the the kind of physical side of the game, and it's inevitable we have to talk a little bit about his rap sheet. And what was his final season, the 05-06 campaign? He equaled Patrick Vieira's record of eight Premiership red cards following a tussle with Paul Sharna, who later admitted it was a nice punch actually, and that he could understand why Ferguson had earned his hard man reputation. Was he ever? Was there ever any sort of frustration amongst Everton fans that he was this? combustible character or did it add almost to his his kind of charm and his the the kind of myth the mythology around him I suppose I'll be honest Tom I think it's a little bit of both um it it, it did of course you know it made him this kind of this crazy character um I I remember seeing a clip from a show like Soccer AM not even maybe in the last 18 months or so and Jimmy Bullard still talking about that incident at Wigan um Mm. When it, you know, he, he punched the goalkeeper, didn't he? And then Bullard's kind of um, trying to have a joke with him. And it's, you know, this kind of stuff does um, does live in the memory and it does kind of go along with this uh, enigma uh, uh, tag. But the reality of the same wasn't wasn't always that, that fun. <laughs> um, you know, picking up suspensions all the time is, is not what you need, especially when, at the time, Everton weren't blessed with a lot of talent and a particularly yeah. um, a, a squad with plenty of depth. So they weren't really in a position where they could afford to lose one of the key players um, for, you know, maybe 10, 11 games a season through stupid suspensions. And then when you add into the fact he didn't have the best injury record as well, mm. it, it would be interesting. For, I might go back and look at this, but it'd be interesting to see how many minutes he was playing on average across the seasons in that period yeah. because I'd be surprised if it was more than half. Well, we don't want to do him too much of a disservice. We are trying to talk about, you know, the great aspects of him because he is rightly remembered as an Everton legend. But that said, I'm going to stick the boot in a little bit more here and just perhaps and say and ask this, given what we know about David Moyes and, you know, the success he obviously had at Everton, I can't imagine his, you know, unavailability through fitness and his own stupidity perhaps, you know, carrying favour with Moyes. You talked about, you know, this sort of gradual decline and what have you. How did he get on with Moyes and how big a part or, or not, or how small a part was he of that team towards the end of his second spell at Everton as they tried to, you know, move into a different era and ultimately had a lot of success under Moyes? I don't know if you remember the top of the show. I mentioned that maybe he wasn't the hero to, to me as he is to maybe others mm. that, that that might seem a little bit harsh he, you know he's, he's I'm very fond of Ferguson you know I'm a huge fan but um, it, it was this kind of aspect in the latter stages that 
I I remember them finding a little bit frustrating. But I think that's like that with any hero, you know, it's it's not always as as black and white in terms of how great they were. There's always some sort of caveat. Mm. And this was one for me. Um yeah, he, he that that kind of frustration in terms of his unavailability didn't sit well with some fans and certainly didn't by all accounts work well with David Moyes because as I mentioned and as we got to know with that Evans side on the Moyes it was a lot of hard work um, you know at those last stages he Moyes brought in Marcus Bent and it's, it's, of course yeah. all I remember all I remember from Bent is just the engine just non-stop running yeah. uh, for 90 minutes you know <laughs> chasing every ball down and you know constantly putting pressure on defenders and that 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 worked perfectly in that side where there's you try and picture Ferguson, that's a complete contrast to the type of game he was he had um at the club. And as you can imagine, it didn't really go down too well. And I think that it was Moyes who told Ferguson that he wouldn't be renewing his contract in that final year. Mm. Um and Ferguson, you know, refused to shake his hand and walk out the door and, and that was that. Oh really? I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. It's um I think he was hoping for another year and mm. Yeah, basically Ferguson, uh, or sorry, Moyes made it clear they wouldn't be, and yeah, the two parted ways, and I don't think they, they spoke again for certainly a long time. Oh, well, that's interesting. I think what's interesting about that story, if it just provides a small insight to maybe how things were in terms of their relationship. Yeah, absolutely. can't imagine uh, Ferguson being someone who would take too kindly to that after the, the service he gave the club over... Two spells. I was going to say, I wouldn't like to be the one telling them either. Takes a fiery Scott to tell a fiery Scott bad news, I suspect, doesn't it? All that said, his, his Everton career ended, and his career indeed ended in quite a nice way. He scored, having missed the penalty against West Brom. Uh, Thomas Kuschek saved it. He did tuck home the rebound, but that was his only goal of the 05 06 uh, league season. So, kind of probably a bit of a pointer of the way his career was headed. How, how was that? finale of his Everton career remembered and, and where does he sit in the kind of pantheon of modern or even all-time Everton greats in, in your view? Yeah, I was about to say, it. you know, you may get 10 different answers if you're in a pub with uh, 10 different <laughs> Everton fans, but I'll I'll obviously try and, I guess, summarise it in my opinion. And I think, answer in two parts, if you were talking about Everton greats based on ability, I, don't, I think we have to be brutally honest and say Ferguson probably doesn't doesn't rank high, but when you consider all all other factors, you know characteristics and you know his his passion for the club and um, just everything that goes along with along with you know the, the playing abilities. When you add add all that in as well, I think he certainly he certainly sits up there for the goals he scored, um, for the kind of um, moments he produced. Just for the, the love of the club, then yeah, he's he's certainly up there for me. Um, you know, it, it's not always about ability, and I, I, I think that's that's something that really needs to be um, highlighted with Ferguson. That beyond the ability, he had a lot of things that uh, sits well with Everton fans, and Everton fans enjoy seeing in in one of their players, and that's that's the reason why he was he was so well liked. When you say it's about more than ability, is there almost something in Ferguson, Ferguson that he's more cult hero than kind of all time great? Is that fair? That kind of unquantifiable, you know, quality that makes up a cult hero, someone that just just gets it, I suppose, for want of a better 
way of looking at it. Is that something that maybe applies to Duncan Ferguson more than a you know a Dixie Dean or a Wayne Rooney? Or I mean, I, I, I'm conscious that I'm doing Ferguson too much of the service because up until um, Lukaku um, played for Everton, Ferguson was um, Everton's top Premier League goal scorer, all time Premier League goal scorer. But it was it wasn't a high amount. I'm pretty sure it was. Um, you know what? I should know this to be honest. That it wasn't. It wasn't. Um, it's frustrating. I don't know how much it was, but maybe we'll revisit that at some point. But yeah, it wasn't a lot. But Lukaku eventually comes in and um, and comes in and overtakes him. But yeah, it's so he did score a, a decent amount of goals. But I think a lot of that goes down to just in terms of how long he played for the club. You know, how many years he had under his belt, rather than being prolific over the over a short period. But yeah, going back to your original point there, it, it definitely is. It's the it's the behaviours beyond uh the on the pitch actions. I think that really did kind of cement him as someone that's really, really loved. And he he was also at the club at a really difficult period. You know, he mm. was he was he was so vocal in his support for the club when there was very little that Everton had to cling on to. Um you know, obviously Liverpool neighbours are always there or thereabouts, picking up the odd trophies along the way as well, whereas Everton were kind of looking down the barrel of relegation. You know, the club's not doing good financially either. Um, so to just have a have a figure like Ferguson there during this difficult period, I think just, if anything, heightens his, his popularity amongst, amongst Everton fans. Is it fair to say then, on the basis of what you've told us, that his first spell was really the one for Everton fans that you know resonated the most of the two. Yeah, I think that's fair. The the second, I mean, the second spell certainly had its, its highlights. You know, there's there's a game against Manchester United in that uh, 0-4-0-5 campaign where Everton eventually finished fourth, mm. and he scores the winner, and that was probably one of the best. Uh, experiences in terms of atmosphere that I've ever experienced at Goodison Park. It was it was mayhem, and you know it, he he was unplayable that evening, and it, it it felt like a real you know blast from the past in terms of what he could produce, and it was it was a real cliche Ferguson performance. So there was definitely highlights in that second period, but yeah, I think if you if you're talking about his biggest impact, it would it would probably be the first stint. Well, you've anticipated my next question here quite nicely, which is if you take his entire Everton career, and this can be entirely personal to you, what was your one standout moment, what was your highlight of watching Duncan Ferguson as an Everton fan? Yeah, that, it, it would have to be that game. Yeah, I said, see, I was a little bit too too young to tr- truly enjoy the um, the debut goal, uh, but that United, that United winner... Was was huge, you know. Everton were really good that year. They won they won course for the top four, and you United come to town. It's it's always a big game, especially under the lights. Um, and it was just a re- it felt like he set the tone for a lot of the performance. Um, mm. And he, he pops up with a with a huge goal and a huge win. And it was when 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 that victory obviously was confirmed. It kind of felt like I think Everton are gonna going to do it this year going to break the top four which was totally unexpected at the start of the campaign yeah. Um, so yeah that's that for me was the, the moment I think where it, 
that always stands out when anyone mentions Duncan Ferguson. Well, we hadn't planned to do a fifth part of this, but as we've talked in quite a bit of depth about his second spell there, I think what we we will just take a very quick break and then we'll be back to round up his return to the club again in a, in a coaching capacity and just discuss his legacy a little more before we finish. So don't go anywhere. Welcome back to You, Me and. We're joined today by David Hughes of Reach and we're discussing Everton centre-forward Duncan Ferguson. By the time he retired, as we talked about before, you know, kind of had perhaps not parted on the best terms with David Moyes, but he it did ultimately uh, kiss and make up. I doubt there was much kissing and making up and involved, but he returned to, the, to Goodison Park in 2011 to join the under-18 staff on a voluntary basis. Uh, and launched his coaching career and then gradually worked his way up to join the first team coaching staff in 2014. And then in December of last year, the real, the kind of, the, the highlight, I suppose, of his, his coaching career to date, Duncan Ferguson was named caretaker manager following Marco Silva's dismissal. He won one and drew three of his four games in charge. But it's that first game, 3-1 against Chelsea, which moved the Toffees out of the relegation zone that I think we all remember for his, you know, fist pumping and bounding down the touchline and hugging ball boys and what have you. How big was that day and that spell that he had in charge as manager before Carlo Ancelotti came in, in really lifting Everton and, and reinvigorating the season and how much of an impact will he have played when the final reckoning happens, you know, whenever this season ends? Um, in you know, really providing the springboard for the rest of this season. We don't know what Everton are going to achieve yet, obviously, but they were really you know down on their luck at that point, and it just seemed that in the the space of one afternoon, he just got things going again, really lit a lit a fire under the players. You know, it was quite bizarre to see Ferguson um, if we rewind to twenty eleven uh, to see Ferguson joining that kind of coaching role because. There was always this um, idea throughout his playing career that he never really loved the game. You know, it felt like he he, he wanted to play, he loved Everton, but he never really seemed to be a person who loved football. Um, mm. And once he retired, there was rumours that he just went off to Spain and kind of settled into retirement life. So to see him come back to Goodison was very bizarre. Um and I, I wasn't sure maybe it was going to be something that lasted lasted the year or two, and he'd maybe kind of disappear again. But he stuck around, and he's worked his way through the um, through the 18s, the 23s, and now obviously he's been a first team coach for some years now. Um, yeah, and then he, he he comes in and really saves the day in in mm. that December because, as you said, Everton were down on luck, did. He'd had a sucker punch. I mean, we knew. I think it was becoming clear that Silver's time was was coming to an end, and the they got sucker punched against Leicester um, on, on on a Sunday afternoon, where they conceded a goal via VAR um, to lose two one, and then three days later went to Anfield and got stuffed by by Liverpool five two, and then obviously Silver gets sacked, Ferguson gets appointed, and we got Chelsea comes to Goodison Park, which. No, we know from watching them this year, Chelsea have been a very good side. He comes in and he just installed very much a back to basics uh, philosophy, and it, it worked perfectly. You know, um, the uh, there was a stack going around that Everton 
think he made 30, 39 tackles it was or there or thereabouts which was the most he'd made in 10, 10 years in the Premier League um, they just worked really hard for them um, it was no frills it was a flat 4-4-2 and yeah at the end of the day they fully deserved the victory and it was it was a big moment and that was a tough run of fixtures they had. They obviously had Chelsea, they had to go to Old Trafford, they played Arsenal and to, to go go through them and come out at the other end without a defeat was was a testament to, to him and it did kind of lay the foundations for a much smoother environment for Ancelotti to, to come into and start, start managing the football club. Yeah, absolutely. How important is it to fans and you know everything's so players and managers and everything really is so transient. Everyone is so transient in football these days. So to have a link to a, the past and yes, fine, not a great era, but someone that is adored by Everton fans. How important is that role that Ferguson has played since he returned to the club? Do you think, and particularly, I suppose, when you have had a you know a string of foreign managers who you know maybe don't form the greatest attachment with the club. I think it can be important. Interestingly on the uh, in the case of Ferguson, I actually thought that um that stint as, as caretaker manager was 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 huge for him because well, not many probably would have picked up on this outside of the the Everton fan base but you know it's been a turbulent few years for Everton. Um they, they've had heavy investments which raised expectations to be pretty successful hasn't quite took off yet and there's been lots of questions asked about the, the, the various coaching teams that have come and gone and Ferguson's kind of been a part of all of them it was mm-hmm. Martinez who brought him in in 2014 and you know up until Silver he was still there and before he come in as caretaker a lot of people will ask him you know why is he still on the on, on the coaching staff because clearly he's he's not impacting much you know we, we love him but we, we don't want to be carrying someone um, and then he obviously comes in and does such a fantastic job. It's clear how much he loves the club. He, he displays some decent um, credibility in terms of, you, you know, his, his tactics and his coaching techniques. And he sounds a lot of doubters. So I think that was huge. But yeah, to answer your question, um, I think everybody, every club wants to have someone who loves loves the club on the. Um, at very least, you know, in and around the the day to day, whether that be as a coach or maybe uh, in the boardroom, they want someone in there who just who just gets it. Uh, Ferguson definitely does does do that. I could just ask. Is is there any chance you see of him becoming a manager in the future? He certainly said in the past that he would like to do it, but appreciates he's some way off it. Do you think that's that's viable? That's a possibility, or or, or not really? I'm not too sure. I was I was impressed um, with the way he handled himself uh, handles himself with the media across that period. I thought he spoke really well, um, and he he managed expectations from the outset. It would, it would have been really disappointing for me to see if he was talking himself up into that job. You know, a couple of years ago, David Unsworth, who's been the under twenty three manager for a while, mm. he came in as caretaker, didn't really do well but was kind of touting himself as a potential candidate to take the job full-time. I like that Ferguson didn't do that. There was an acceptance that, look, I'm, I'm not ready, uh, but maybe someday. I, I guess we'd have to see a little bit more because although it worked well, I think you know the tac- these tactics of a flat 
four four two and just trying to outrun the other side and outwork them <laughs> will only take you so far. Uh, yeah. You know, if you can, if you think about the tacticians in the Premier League now, your Guardiola's, your Klopp's, you know, you need a, a, a elite manager. I think Evan have got one now in Carlo Ancelotti, and at this stage, someone like Ferguson coming in after after Ancelotti would seem like a bit of a backward step. Um, but who knows if he goes out and proves himself uh, somewhere else, you know, maybe somewhere in the lower leagues and, and does really well then. You know, that would could be a match made in heaven for five or ten years down the line. Well, I think we'll leave it. We'll hand over to Duncan Ferguson himself to round it off and with this quote, which I thought summed up his affiliation with the club beautifully. It was the best ten years of my career. In fact, they were the only team I actually ever played for. That's what happens when you play for Everton. You forget the rest. The rest means nothing. And I think that sums up Duncan Ferguson and Everton as a a love story, a fairly modern love story, quite nicely. Uh, David, thank you ever so much for joining us and and sharing your memories of Duncan Ferguson as uh, from the perspective of being an Everton fan. I think it was nice and nice and balanced. It wasn't we weren't just sort of uh, blowing smoke up his behind. So thank you very much. Thank you for listening to you, me and Duncan Ferguson. Uh, if you want to get more from David, you can follow him on Twitter at DAHughes underscore. But please also remember to subscribe, share and review the podcast, which is available on SoundCloud, Spotify and pretty much every other podcast platform. If there's someone you want to hear us talk about, send us a message on Twitter, Instagram or Facebook and we will do our best to come round to them eventually. Thank you for listening and join us again next week to discuss another 90s icon. Thanks again.